The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. It's time for another mini episode down here at Club Wiz. Ooh, baby, that's right. So grab your log box and drop your socks because we are ready to get into the nitty gritty. Oh, we're going to talk about Wizard Magazine. We got polybags. We got chromium. We got it all, baby. So get ready for another edition of Wizard's Half here at Club Wiz, 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 Wiz. Hey there, geeks. Adam here, welcoming you to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 53.5, and yes, of course, I was giving you a little something extra there, because if you have checked out our Apple Podcasts reviews lately, one particular listener said he loved the show, except for the fact that I sound like the worst DJ at a strip club. So, might as well give you what you expect when you tune into these mini-episodes, where we get into all the stuff we didn't have time for on the main episode. But we've got all the time in the world now to talk about the fun. Of course, episode 53 with Bob Winters as our guest. Just a lot of laughs there. Some of it at the expense of Rob Eyelids, but you know, we had a good time nonetheless. But speaking of fun, we're going to mix things up this time around. We have a special guest joining us to do a little bit of that comic book fan casting. So let's get into it. All right, well, here we are. We teased this for you recently in the main episode that there was a casting call featuring, like, the top independent books of the 90s, many of them from the Legend imprint, and so Wizard was going to give them their due. If they were going to get the live-action treatment, who would play them? And so I decided to bring on the king of 90s independent comics, the favorite (laughs) guest who loves talking about these characters, and that is Mr. Sean Robert. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great been a crazy day but i'm super stoked to talk about this stuff yes i gotta mention here though real quick the casting call logo this is the 11th casting call and Mm. so what they did was next to the word call they doubled up the l's and just changed the color and made that the 11 and i have to believe that originally they probably just had that in the place of the l's and they're like nobody's gonna get it they're not gonna (laughs) know what's different here so shout out to the design department on that one because i'm sure they wanted to go a little bit deeper with uh, their ideas but yeah so what it says here is all right all you winners who ask how come batman and spider-man get all the movie attention have we got a flick for you how's about a film featuring some of the small press comic book characters aha we thought we'd get your attention let's see who'd be perfect in a movie and they're starting out with madman of course very dear to our hearts sean so have you considered casting for a madman film throughout your years of reading the comics i mean totally and it's changed over 
over the years. I mean, when I was first reading, I think I lined up with some of the thought in the day. Like, I don't remember this specific casting call from this issue of Wizard, but I remember there was a lot of people that had the same thought that I did was uh, younger Johnny Depp. That was what was in my head at first, just because indie actors and he kind of had the hair for it already and yeah definitely nowadays he would start it he would want to play it now just the quirkiness of the character i can totally see that i never even considered johnny depp but it makes so much sense now looking back i'm thinking like out of the box up like here they've got bill campbell the rocketeer yeah which is you know he's he's a he's a good actor at the time like i don't think i would have ever like pegged him for that just because it's like i I think i'd only seen him in that and i didn't feel like you know i had a, a feeling for his range like later on when he was like in the killing and stuff like i think i got more of a, a vibe from him acting wise which you know i think he would actually be pretty cool in the role but uh, like looking back i think party of five was a was it maybe a thing at this time mm-hmm. or starting to be a thing i can't remember the actor's name he's from lost he was the older matthew brother fox matthew fox yeah that that's i think and it's because seeing him in the um the speed racer movie mm-hmm. Like, I got a whole new appreciation for him as, like, an action hero as well as a decent actor or whatever. Wow. So it's like, I, like, I've almost seen him in the that, That's That's an interesting one, because I definitely considered him as I was looking through these. I was like, of the era, yeah, Matthew Fox needs to be in here somewhere. But my thought was, you know, Bill Campbell definitely got the sincerity, got the aw shucks kind of guy attitude that mm-hmm. Batman has, you know, that the Frank Einstein character is a big part of it. But for some reason of this era, I kept going back to, you know, a young... Brendan Fraser oh, could have yeah. done this just just because of the weird factor that you have to have that I don't think Bill Campbell gets the quirky side of things mm-hmm. and Brendan Fraser of course we see him do the action later on in the mummy films and things like that so I feel like he would have been a pretty good choice too yeah especially like at this time because this is like Encino Man and Airheads era right that would, that would and then he did perfect. blast from the past where he was basically that, oh, you know, I don't kind of don't know what's going on here, and I'm an all mm-hmm. shucks kind of guy, you know, so he would have fit pretty well. That's a good call. The decision here for Joe, again, so many of these based on the uh, hair color of the actor <laughs> or actress, you know, in this particular case, they're choosing Laura Layton from Melrose Place. And I was thinking back, I was like, I do not remember. I remember Marsha Cross as the redhead on Melrose Place. I don't remember this character for some reason but i kind of like it like I, she's got a good look yeah she definitely has a good look i've always been kind of stuck on bridget fonda that's so weird i thought of that too but she's so intense do you think she could play like the the sweetness side of it have you seen her play that kind of role so yeah so there's there's her character in shag oh. she's kind of she's kind of a jerk in shag but she's got <laughs> that like southern bell kind of there is another side to it right so it's like i feel like you know there's the physicality there from like point of no return mm-hmm if they're getting in the mix of, of something crazy going on. Uh, but at the same time, I've definitely seen her play like sweet and just nice. She's, she's kind of like that in Jackie Brown, too. I mean, okay. She's kind of like airheady. And... Nice. Oh, yeah. And I totally forgot about that. I have a copy of Shag on VHS over here. I just haven't watched it. So now I'm going to check it out and see if she'd be a good Joe. All right. Well, that's cool. Uh, let's move on here to a film that actually does get made and then gets a sequel, Sin City. So they're trying to cast it, I think, without prosthetics mm. <laughs> is the thought here so for the character of marv wizard has selected liam neeson at this time being you know touted as the star of dark man and schindler's list <laughs> what do you think about that it's like the intensity yes but he doesn't have the bulk you know he doesn't no. have the i don't know like he's he's such a like kind of like got a wiry frame i, mm. I love him and he would definitely bring an intensity to to, to marv but I don't feel like he has the look 
you know? Yeah, and who came to mind for me, he would have probably been too old, but at the same time, I feel like you could make it work. He might have been dead by this point. I don't know. George C. Scott. Mm, yeah. I mean, he's just got the look of Marv. Like, whether it's yeah. Doctor Strange Love, you know, like that that version of him where it was the crew cut and everything, I'm like, wow, George C. Scott would have been pretty good Marv. Yeah. Well, there's also, like, a... Have you ever seen the movie Hardcore from, like, 1980? Oh, I don't think so. Okay, so it, it's a weird one, but it's one where his, um... I can't remember if he's, oh, like, a pastor I remember or now. His, daughter, his daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah, his daughter disappears, and then he finds out that she basically fell into the world of porn in California, and he's, like, yes. on a desperate search to, to track her down. There's a very, like, hard-boiled detective kind of aspect to that story, and I think he gets beat up a couple times, and you can kind of... I could totally see that. Yeah. I always had uh, Michael Chiklis in mind, and it's... Huh. It's just, you know, I, I grew up with him on the commish, like in the, the early 90s or whatever. Yeah. But like that, those first couple seasons of The Shield and everything. But just trying to think of someone of that era that had like sort of like a bulk and an intensity. That's kind of what comes to mind. But yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one. Because they, they kind of did the perfect casting when they eventually did the movie, right? Yeah. It, it kind of worked perfect with Mickey Rourke. So. Definitely. Now, the next character from Sin City, I never, even in the movies, he doesn't stand out to me. I remember, like, the character existing, and there was some, like, mm-hmm. busy, like, by the sequel, doesn't he change his face or something? Like, it's weird. Yeah. But Dwight. And here they want Willem Dafoe. And I'm like, yeah, yeah Willem Dafoe and anything, sure. <laughs> William Dafoe would live and breathe in the Sin City world. I mean, just based off of his uh, his streets of fire, right? Exactly. (laughs) Or or even to live and die in L.A. Like he he's got that down. But Dwight to me always read as uh, like a version of like Bruce Willis. Hmm. Okay. Um, that that character in the comics, like I felt like they were kind of like like Frank Miller was kind of shooting for the Bruce Willis aesthetic. Um, which was weird because he does end up in the movie, not as Dwight, right? Um, but it's but as a different character. They do was it a is it Colin Clive? I think that they yeah. they end up with as Dwight. He's much more important in the comics than he is in the movies. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. But yeah, I always I always had Bruce Willis in mind. So that that was really surprising when the movie. Okay. Came out. Now the next one here, I this is such an interesting discussion. I think is Paul Chadwick's concrete. Okay. And so what they explained here is we need a passionate, thoughtful and introspective type of actor to play this congressional speech writer. Why not Tom Hanks? And I say, no, (laughs) Tom Hanks is not concrete in my mind. Always. When I'm reading the concrete comics, I have many of the collections I've many single issues. I just love me some concrete. It's always Albert Brooks. Albert that Brooks. is who I have. He's always, he's got the sad sack side to him, but he's a little bit clever. He's a little bit, you know, like he, you could see why people would be endeared to him, you know, and of course, Tom Hanks, we love Tom Hanks, but I don't think he is pathetic enough. <laughs> yeah. Concrete needs to be pathetic. For some reason, and if, again, I think this is just me with a, a visual style and everything. Like I would always, I always had a hard time getting John Goodman's voice. Oh. out of my head when I was reading the stuff. Now, I don't know if he would necessarily nail the mm-hmm. right, like, for the yeah. for the character, but just the way the character looks and the, the like, like sort of like a deepness to the voice, John Goodman's always what came up to my mind at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, but I would yeah, not have been opposed to that, definitely. I yeah. would have been like, everybody loves John Goodman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would definitely have the likable thing, probably down, yeah. Yeah. Next one here is, I just, wow, they went <laughs> wild with this. This is uh, Dave Sims' Cerebus, and they chose Joe Pesci because the we wanted a squeaky, distinctive voice. Do you feel like Cerebus is supposed to have a squeaky voice? No. Like, I, it's like I get where they're going with this. Like, there's there's even sort of like a little bit of an attitude thing, just kind of like a, a squirrely kind of jerk, mm-hmm. jerkness to him, which does fit 
Cerebus, but I don't, I, the, the voice isn't right. He's like Jack Nicholson, where it's like he has a very distinct line delivery uh-huh. that goes through pretty much every film he's ever been in. So, yeah, no, uh, Joe Pesci just does not speak the, to, to the character to me at all. I don't know. That one's a, that one's a hard one. Yeah. Dog pig from hell? Like, I don't know what you would do with that. So I'm going to leave that one up to the listeners. Those, you hardcore service readers, who do you hear in your head? Which actor's voice? But on the next page, nothing better. Like, this is 100%. <laughs> as soon as I saw the character, Martha Washington, they choose Jada Pinkett. Not yet Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm-hmm. This is a dead president's Jada Pinkett, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had just done our Bad Girls special, my wife and I, and we were talking about Martha Washington was one of the characters. She's like, I would want to read her comics. So I started reading the first series, and it was awesome. Like, it was mm-hmm. so good. So I'm glad I did. But yeah, Jada Pinkett, I was just like, yeah, that's who she looks like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that that's great casting. I The only other person I would even consider is Angela Bassett, just because I wanted her in a comic book movie so badly in the 90s. Yeah, if only we could have gotten her a storm. Yeah. I'll just have to go with Strange Days is the best I got. <laughs> All right. Another character here who is one that I have not read very much of at all, and I know is just beloved, you know, Matt Wagner's Grendel. Mm-hmm. They choose future phantom Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy Zane. You know what? There's this weird thing with Billy Zane. So on a side tangent, if you're a fan of Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer has this run, right, from the 80s up into the early 90s where he's like outstandingly charismatic. And then all of a sudden he turns into like this very solemn, you know, mumble actor that Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) whatever. Billy Zane is the opposite. For me, Billy Zane is always the very sullen kind of not charismatic actor, with the exception of Demon Knight, the Tales from the Crypt movie, where Mm -hmm. I feel like he's chewing the scenery now i haven't seen some i haven't seen titanic i know that's a weird thing to say i think i'm one of four (laughs) people but it's like yeah and it's not like hunter rose is like super charismatic or i mean he's definitely like a a suave yeah more calculating right Mm -hmm. yeah and and that that's that's a hard one again it would be hard for me not to say johnny depp for the era but yeah it's it's also hard because that's a character that i don't want to see unmasked a lot either and that's you know, so, so like, are you casting for the voice? Are you casting for the build? It's a weird one. Yeah. You don't think Tom Cruise? <laughs> if he never took the mask off, maybe. <laughs> he's just Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise is too, he's got that optimistic boy kind of uh, okay. you know, thing to him that I just, or, you know, like, I don't, I just don't see him as the killer instinct. Yeah. Now, the next one here was very hard for me in seeing who they cast here because they have chosen the flaming carrot, Bob Burden's just wackadoo, you know, bizarre character. I have many trades of flaming carrot. I love his stuff. But they Mm -hmm. chose Robin Williams, which I get because they're saying, oh, the character is from a really scatological, funny comic. But mm-hmm. it's not Robin Williams because mm-hmm. the flaming carrot is so like monosyllabic or if he does say things, they're just like bizarre, like non sequiturs, mm-hmm. but they're not like super energetic. Hey, I'm doing an impression. Hey, how about this? What do you think now? You know, like it, it would be a waste of Robin Williams to make mm-hmm. him the flaming carrot. So you need somebody like I've always thought of somebody like that just has, you know, a distinct voice, but you wouldn't necessarily care that they're hidden behind a carrot the whole time but honestly somebody like bruce campbell could do it because it would be a little smarmy it would be a little fun but it again he kind of lives in catchphrases right yeah totally so so something like that but did you have a thought uh, my, my thought for that was patrick warburton Ooh. again 
he does so much with so little, yeah. you know, and he can play crazy violent. He can play really dumb. So I think he would I think he would have the ability to kind of nail that oddness it is i a mean he did show. so well with the tick i think you're right i think i would switch over only because you really do want the visual of the mugging when you have mm-hmm. bruce campbell and so to take that away but patrick warburton is just the voice most yeah. of all you know so okay like it this next one is also so bizarre so they're talking yeah. about evan dorkin's milk and cheese so they want it for milk or cheese i don't think i think it's interchangeable i think it's i don't think the characters yeah. are distinct in any so for milk they want dennis leary which is like yes mm-hmm. i think that is if i get dennis leary in the mix the mm-hmm. acerbic wit and all of that that's great but for cheese they're suggesting chris farley yeah so just like, mm, he does angry but when he does angry even like the bus driver in billy madison there is a again a pathetic nature to those characters which yeah. i don't see in milk and cheese at all i think yeah i think i think what they were going for is just trying to like rope in some of the you know, like if they're thinking comedy of that era, it's like, well, mm-hmm. who's huge, you know, or whatever. But yeah, my feeling now, I love Dennis Leary. I didn't think about Dennis Leary, but he is and he would definitely nail one of them. My thought was first David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. Oh, like, wow. I just feel like they would play off of each other so well and they can do insane, crazy um, but then there's part of me like if you're doing Dennis Leary, like have the other one being Gilbert Gottfried or something. <laughs> Well, the, the the idea I had, actually, was Sam Kinison. Oh, yeah. Was he dead by this point, unfortunately? 96? Uh, 95? Close. I'm not sure. It's some, somewhere around in there, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, he died in 92. Oh, mm. man. So I don't even think milk and cheese existed in 92. Yeah, he was maybe it? still doing Hectic Planet in 92. Yeah, but, he, but I think he would have been awesome if you were sticking with Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary and Sam Kinison would have been a fun <laughs> milk and cheese. <laughs> that would have that definitely been great, yeah. Just the anarchic nature of it all, right? So, mm-hmm. But I, I like your choices. I, I, I think you get the Mr. Show crew in there. That that would be, a, if it was a Mr. Show movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. they wrote it, like, everything, but they were starring as Milk and Cheese. That would be, that would <laughs> I be mean, I mean, I would watch that in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right. Uh, last here is from Love and Rockets, a very famous, I mean, this kind of predates a lot of these characters. You know, that was early mm-hmm. 80s, you know, independent stuff. So they're doing the duo of Maria Conchito Alonso for Predator 2. Mm-hmm. Was it? She's also in Total Recall, right? I think she also is in uh, The Running Man, right? Oh, The Running Man. That's what I was thinking that, That's of. the one with Arnold, yeah. That's the one, yeah. And then for Maggie, they wanted Elizabeth Pena, and she was immediately who came to mind for me. And I didn't mm-hmm. even look at her picture. I was like, that actress, what's her mm-hmm. name? And I started looking up the one from Rush Hour. And I was like, Elizabeth Pena. I was like, oh. That's who they picked. <laughs> yeah. She's got so much attitude. Yeah. But you know who I was thinking? It would be whitewashing the character, but for Hopi, because Maria Conchita Alonso has a little bit too much, I don't, I don't know if dignity is the right word, but she's just a little too, like, elegant. Yeah, and a little and a little older. Yeah, she's not character. punk rock, you know? Yeah. And I was thinking, if you got Gina Gershon from this mm-hmm. era, playing that character, you know, I don't know, maybe she's got some Latin roots somewhere in her family tree, but I feel like she would have had like a good attitude and look for it. For me, and it's for either. And it, again, it would it would be sort of the problem of whitewashing the characters, which is unfortunate. But like, I just have a hard time not having Janine Garofalo oh, pop wow. up in there. Like, I feel like yeah. 
she would definitely probably hope be more than Maggie, but I don't know. Yeah, again, it, that's a hard one because I would definitely want to cast, you know, ladies that were Latin just to... Yeah. So let me ask you this, because there is one important comic to you that they have left off this list here. So as we close, as you have thought of a Poison Elves movie, is there like an ideal casting for you in any way? Is there, you know, a series of actors or just one in particular to lead the thing that you feel like, yeah, they would get the vibe? So it's funny that you brought up Tom Cruise earlier. So here's the thing with Tom Cruise and certain actors like Antonio Banderas and stuff like this, they're shot certain ways in certain movies to make them look much taller than they are. And some of these guys are really like Robert Downey Jr. They're like really, really tiny little guys. And Lucifer is a tiny little guy. <laughs> he's a tiny oh. little guy with a chip on his shoulder. And I, he, he, but he's also got that kind of smarmy kind of, he's got that Tom Cruise kind of thing going to him. Like I would have loved to have seen that. And I think what, 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 open that up for me for that character is his performance in magnolia oh i thought you were gonna say legend where he was an elf well yeah i mean legend he's definitely got the, the body type down like that yeah. that's the the tom cruise body style for sure okay where he's not too pumped up but just the, the the hair and the attitude and everything from magnolia like i just it's like you just throw two large ears on there and i like i could so see it it would never happen in a million years yeah i but. mean that would be a long shot but <laughs> you never know at some point he might you know in his producing and all those things it might be a motion capture thing and maybe mm-hmm. he just wants to really branch out and somebody says tom you know you never played iron man but there's this poison elves comic <laughs> Well, he, he might be playing Iron Man, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> yes, I know. We're, we're waiting to see, right? All in yeah. good time. But man, Sean, this was so much fun. Thank you for coming on for this, because I knew you were the right man for the job. I knew yeah. some of these thoughts had crossed your mind at some point. So, uh, But why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your podcasting and elsewhere? Yeah, so I mean, basically, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter most of the time. Just Sean Robert on Twitter. I do a, a semi-regular podcast. We're kind of getting back into it right now. We've been having hosting issues but the cult film club at cultfilmclub.com it's uh, me and my friend paxton and my wife jamie we uh, talk about cult films and come halloween season we'll have a sub show on there called crestwood house that paxton and i and our other friend michael may do those are my two big projects right now uh branded in the 80s used to be my big website but i kind of shuttered that over this past year but i am going to be launching a new website uh sometime this year so keep an eye out on twitter if you're interested at all in my my goofy my goofy thoughts on stuff all right cool but hey Let's get into some fun talking about Cap's kooky contests. Well, this was a year-ender issue, so they got more pages, which means they have more contests. The first one here, though, the Love Letter Contest. Whoa, Nelly. Did you see what happened at X-Men number 45? Rogue and Gambit, those two X-Persons who were looking like a couple of potential lovebirds, kind of split up, but we think there's still a chance they could get back together. If only they could express their true feelings for each other, like maybe in a love letter? Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Ah, you know, mutants, never too good at letting their feelings out, so... Maybe you should jump in and actually write a letter for one of them. There's two ways you can do it. You can get into the role of Gambit and pen a little sweet note to Rogue, or you can pretend you're the mysterious Southern Belle and write a letter to the kind-hearted Remy. But you've got to say it like you mean it. Use their lingo, reflect on their backgrounds. Heck, you might even want to send along a little token of your affection to sweeten the pot. Make us misty-eyed with your expressive missive, and you could win these lovely prizes. Grand prize? Hey, there's going to be one big winner in each 
of two categories, Rogue to Gambit and Gambit to Rogue. One winner in each category will receive an Andy Kubert original sketch of themselves getting a big old friendly love and a hug from the object of their affection, either Rogue or Gambit. They'll also receive a copy of X-Men number 45 autographed by Andy Kubert and a beautiful Marvel Press Rogue Gambit poster autographed by artist Dennis Calero. Second prize, 10 winners in each category, Rogue to Gambit, Gambit to Rogue, will receive a copy of X-Men 45 autographed by Andy Kubert and a Marvel Press Rogue Gambit poster autographed by Dennis Calero. Ain't that sweet? So fill out this entry form, attach it to your letter, put it in an envelope, make sure you address the envelope correctly, and send it all to... And so they have two different categories. One is Love Letter to Rogue, one is Love Letter to Gambit, but they all go to the same place but they want to be able to sort it, I guess. So that's actually pretty fun, don't you think? Like just the idea of, you know, putting a little uh, imagination into your entry here, imagining you're part of this like a lot of people do when they're reading. Uh, but also it is funny here on the official entry form at the bottom, it just says flowers or chocolates. So they're just doing a little survey of their own. But now let's check out that legal text, which they're calling love that legal text. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Marvel Comics, and their immediate families, or Chuck Woolery. Love connection, my ass. <laughs> Nobody loves love connection? Oh, that was a fun show to check out. I mean, it's kind of goofy. Not as raunchy as that reality TV became, right? I don't know. It's a more innocent time. All right, finally, offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. We figured we couldn't do an entire hyper love issue, so we're just going to do a hyper love contest. Call us sentimental. Hyper love. I don't know what that is. Anybody? Was that a trend at the time? Was that a song? Was that a... I don't know. Hyper love. <laughs> I feel like I got to get that tattooed on my arm or something. I'll tell you the thing that I love, though, is the fact that it says here this is a contest sponsored by Marvel Comics. Bunch of lovey-dovey guys and gals. So the fact that Marvel actually let them do jokes in the legal text for this one just made me very happy warmed my heart all right but let's move on to the next contest here it's called an amazing contest get it well, you will. You're about to become an anime legend. Welcome to Manga Video's World of Anime, a place of post-apocalyptic hells, bioengineered mechanics, nightmarish fiends, wide-eyed babes, neon techno cities, and furious gunfire. A dimension that visits the depths of depravity, astounding acts of violence, and the terrifying triumphs of evil over good as demons, fiends, and the dark side of human nature are all horribly brought to life. Science fiction was never this real. I will say I, I recognize none of the characters, uh, there might be a Gundam robot, but otherwise I don't know who these people are. But it says here, yes, it is a contest, but you don't have to do no stinking essays, no drawings, no stupid research, no trivia questions. All you do is take an old t-shirt, write manga video on it, have someone take a picture of you wearing the t-shirt, close up please, we want the whole torso, and send it to us. Now wasn't that easy? Randomly selected readers who do this can win. Grand prize? After checking out your photo, we'll be able to draw you as an anime character and send you an autographed copy of the art. We'll even publish it in a future manga video ad in Wizard. Oh yeah, almost forgot. The winner also gets a 13-inch color TV with built-in VCR and 20, count them, 20 killer manga videos! That's pretty cool, actually. And I will say, I have a TV-VCR combo that probably is a 13-inch screen. <laughs> so I just need those 20 manga videos. Uh, but then the second prize, 10 second prize winners will get a manga fan club kit featuring a manga video VHS reel, t-shirt, mouse, 
mouse pad cap and official manga club membership. So there you go. That's pretty cool for those of you who are into that side of entertainment. I've mentioned several times before on the show the only anime that I cared about was the Giver, and I had all the videos back in the day, and I have slowly been reassembling my collection. So there's like a six VHS series that I had, and now I've got like five of them. I'm so close, you know? I'm excited. Anyway, let's see what the legalese says here. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Manga Video, and their immediate families, or anyone who has pupils bigger than hard-boiled eggs. Well, yeah. <laughs> the manga eyes, the anime eyes are very large indeed. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Be careful when eating the meat of the blowfish. Those suckers can be poisonous. Well, there you go. Good advice there. And of course, we all know that Wizard gets into the anime and manga game with Anime Invasion and Anime Insider becomes a very long-running and successful magazine for them. So this was just the beginning. And actually, it looks like this is going to be a running gag in the contest this month, but down at the end of the entry form, it says sushi or sashimi. <laughs> so just doing their own little side surveys along the way. All right, on to the next contest here. Wouldn't you know it, it's another Chaos Comics contest. This one says the Everything Chaos Contest. It has Evil Ernie. Looks like he is strangling a Captain America clone with his own intestines. And he says, what do you want for Christmas, American male? Your life or everything chaos ever made? Tis the season to be jolly, and we're willing to bet that nothing would make you jollier than the biggest batch of Evil Ernie and Lady Death goodies this side of the Endless Graveyard. Get into the holiday spirit, chaos Style. Then you have Lady Death saying, ooh, sounds delicious. What do I have to do? Yes, it is a contest. Here's how. We want you to take a familiar holiday song, you know, like Oh Christmas Tree or Jingle Bells, and rewrite it so the lyrics include Evil Ernie, Lady Death, Purgatory, and the rest of the Chaos crowd. Here's an example. Sam, give me a bouncy C to the tune of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Ernie the Psycho Killer had a very shiny rib cage, and if you ever saw it, you would surely be in enraged. All of the other psychos used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Ernie join in any Megadeth games. Pretty good, wizard. Okay, it's a bad example, but you get the point. Do up your own song and do it well enough and we'll arrange for a big fat guy in a red suit to give it to you. The ultimate stocking stuffers. One grand prize. One reader will receive one of everything chaos. That's right, Kimasabi. You'll get one copy each of every chaos comic trade paperback, hardcover, trading card, poster, Christmas ornament, and whatever else we can lay our grubby paws on. You'll be up to your left clavicle with Evil Erty and Lady Death, which ain't a bad place to to be. Trust us. And as an extra special bonus from our friends over at Chaos, just because they love their fans so much, you'll even get special goodies available nowhere else. The tools of the trade. You'll get Stephen Hughes pencils, which he actually used to draw the comics. You'll get Jason Jensen's pens he used for inking. You'll get half a bag of Fritos that Brian Polito couldn't finish when he was writing. Now that's cool. And salty. <laughs> so that actually is pretty fun there. And so let's check out the chaotic legal print here. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Chaos Comics, and their immediate families, or Richard Nixon. He was a little too much into order. Huh? What? Yeah? Okay. Take your word for it. <laughs> That's not the Nixon joke I was expecting. All right, the next one here, offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Ever listen to Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues? That's definitely chaotic. 
But also on this entry form, they're asking your favorite reindeer. Aw, isn't that nice? Let us know, geeks. Who is your favorite reindeer? All right, we have yet another contest here. This one is brought to you by Lightning Comics. It says, what's this? A whopping 123 prizes in one contest? We must be out of our friggin' skulls. Yeah, we are. The Creed Superhero Contest. You know Creed, don't you? He's that dream world fantasy kid with the big honkin' hairdo whose exciting adventures are written and drawn by young up-and-comer Trent Kanuga. Well, Lightning Comics and Trent want you to have a page right out of the brand spanking new Creed number one. This is what you gotta do. Two things we know about Creed. One, he talks to frogs. Two, he's anything but a superhero. So we got to thinking and decided that we'd like you to show us what Creed would look like if he actually were a superhero. So draw us a pretty picture, giving us any and all the standard superhero goodies. Maybe a cape, maybe big boots, maybe epaulets. Look it up. Be creative, be funny, be serious, be all of the above. We don't care, just do it. Do it because you could win some super cool goodies. Grand prize? That's right, we're going to have 23 grand prize winners, each each grand prize winner will receive one page of original Trent Kanuga art from the full color Creed number one, Lightning's ongoing series. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So they're just giving away all the pages of the comic. Second prize, 100 winners will get a copy of the full color Creed number one, autographed by Trent Kanuga. That's 100 winners, folks. Then there's a frog that says, hey, I could be the superhero. It's possible. Ribbit. And so the legal dimension here says contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Lightning Comics, and their immediate families, already dragons, or frogs who become dragons. <laughs> Scaly things need not apply. That took my mind all over the place. I was like, whoa, what are you doing to me here, wizard? Uh, next one here, offer void, we're prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Hey, this Creed is a hippie looking kid. How do you think he feels about Jerry Garcia's untimely demise? Oh, R.I.P. Jerry Garcia. Even though I have no interest in your music, I love your ice cream and your neckties. But yeah, you gotta wonder, how does Trent Kanuga feel? Like, all his original art, he just gave it away? Does he not care about it? Was this just a means to an end? I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to him now. And we have reached out to him and not gotten a response. So, who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll get him on here. But, you know, they're not asking you if you prefer frogs or tadpoles or lizards or something here. They just say on the entry form, did you attach your art? Huh? Did you? Good point. Good point. If you're entering an art contest, want to make sure the art is there. And now, the final contest. This one is brought to you by Harris Comics, but formerly published by Hall of Heroes, just like Creed was. It says, the Get Your Aggravation Out contest. Ooh, this modern world. It sure can't be a big pain in the ace. Everywhere you look, there's litterbugs, bigots, bad drivers, or ball chicks aggravating you to no end. Fortunately, Cyberfrog is here. Cyberfrog, who dispenses harsh justice on the depraved, the evil, and the stupid. Particularly the stupid. But why should Frog you be the only one who gets to pound the pudding out of those who aggravate him? Why can't you get in on the act? Hey, you can! Just let us know who you'd like to slap silly if only you had the power and Cyberfrog will help you kick the snot out of some pain in the butt losers. Let us know who you think really needs a good knee drop in the spleen. Is it morning drive radio disc jockeys, afternoon TV talk show hosts, Rush Limbaugh, Bill Clinton, golfers, the French? French golfers? Tell us why these people or groups deserve the wrath of Cyberfrog in any way you want. Write it in a sentence, uh, write it in a 300-page book, draw us a picture, whatever. Just let us know who really ticks you off. The best responses get some cool prizes. <laughs> hey, you can throw us onto the list if you want. 
grand prize, one reader will receive an original drawing of him or herself and Cyberfrog beating the holy bejesus out of the group or individual that the reader hates, done up by Cyberfrog creator Ethan Van Skyver. You also get a copy of Cyberfrog number one autographed by Van Skyver. First prize, 20 readers will receive an Ethan Van Skyver autographed copy of the all-new eggs-ridden Cyberfrog number one. So yeah, there you go. Uh, violence. Alright, but it says here, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Harris Comics, and their immediate families, or Kermit the Frog. You don't want to know what we do to the Muppets around here. Oh, come on. It's not easy being green, after all. But Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Oh, please pick golfers. Please, please, please pick golfers. We hate them, too. We just love to bludgeon them all into submission with their own seven irons. <laughs> Wizard has something against golfers. We knew about the French, but golfers? All right, well, that's it for Cap's kooky contest this time around. And now it's time for Robin's Reading Rainbow. You know, we recently ran a survey on Twitter where we asked who your favorite 90s teen super team was, and by a narrow margin, Gen 13 beat Generation X while blowing Young Justice and Bloodpool out of the water. Actually, former Wizard staffer Ben Morse was appalled that the new Warriors didn't make the list, but we were focused on the mid-90s proliferation of teen teams, so sorry, Ben. We'll talk about it when you're back on the show. Now, issues 6 and 7 of Gen 13 were important to the history of comics in that they mark the return of Jim Lee to penciling an entire comic book after a year-long sabbatical in 1995, where he took time off to be with his family, and that's wonderful. But the question is, will his taking over the most popular book at Wildstorm from J. Scott Campbell be for better or for worse? Well, time will tell. So let's dial up the Gen 13 line. So issue six actually features a very iconic cover. It's a group shot with the team looking less like snotty teenage rebels and more like supermodels. This issue actually had a chromium cover edition as well that I picked up back in the day. And it teams Jim back up with his favorite inker, Scott Williams. And now I'll admit, I didn't realize as a kid that it was Jim Lee handling these issues, but it may explain why I didn't really reread them often as they seem to have a different tone than the previous five issues of the ongoing series. It's definitely going back to the mini-series, which I know Jim Lee was a lot more involved with story-wise, but let's get into it here. So, in issue six, we open on nudity! Male nudity! Yes, the tables have turned to Gen 13! <laughs> and uh, Jim Lee isn't the only one making a return. It's the evil Ivana plus psycho-siblings Threshold and Bliss in some secret lab. They're unfreezing another Gen active member from Project Genesis named Leon 
Ron, whose nether regions are obscured by some conveniently placed steam. Now Bliss, aka Nicole, says she's not hiding out anymore, and she just takes off in a plane to go on a trip. Meanwhile, we see that Gen 13 kids are also traveling to Italy! Speaking of which, this comic makes a unique but baffling choice to have all the Italian characters in the story speak only in Italian. So if you wanted to know what they were saying, you'd have to flip to a sidebar in the letters column in the very back of the issue that decodes each word balloon. So with nearly half the dialogue in the book being Italian, it's a real hassle to read this. Now on the flip side, we get something very fun, which is a fashion montage of the kids trying out couture clothing, with Roxy doing a Marilyn Monroe impression, grunge dressed as a weird version of Robin, and Burnout in a Star Trek The Next Generation uniform. Like, this is some sort of, like, European fashion trend. I don't think that was the case. But ultimately, they all settle on less pop culture-influenced outfits and go to dinner, where an insensitive grunge hurts Roxy's feelings, and she runs out of the restaurant, so Burnout comforts her in the rain. Isn't that interesting? Juxtaposition, the fire, the rain. But speaking of rain, after a few too many drinks at the end of the night, Sarah, Rainmaker, and Bobby, aka Burnout, go to bed together. Waking up in the morning, Sarah calls it a mistake and takes off. Just a reminder though that the big controversy in the letters column of Gen 13 and Wizard actually at this time was Sarah's coming out as a lesbian. So this must have thrown a lot of people for a loop. They're like, wait, what's happening? Huh? But ticked off at being called a mistake, Burnout takes to the skies in flame, catching the attention of an Italian supergroup who then attacks our heroes. Roxy refers to them as fashion disasters, but they identify themselves as the Centurions, Guardians of Rome. They are Armato, who wears big red Stormwatch-looking armor, a Surge, who is an armored speedster, Volare, a knight with a cape and a mask, Domina, who is a dominatrix, basically, <laughs> and Valina, a gold-skinned bald woman with the ability to sap your energy and knock you out, I guess? I don't know. That's the move she uses on Fairchild. But the Centurions manage, at the end of the day, to knock out Caitlyn, Roxy, and Grunge, flying away with them to an unknown location, and on the last page, though, Bliss shows up and saves Burnout in his fight with Domina. Now, fans of the miniseries will recall that Bliss had a crush on Bobby and teased him a bit with her affections, so it looks like that's going to continue as we move into issue 7, which features a cover headed up by what looks like a blonde version of Fairchild with a layout in the style of the first issue of the miniseries, just that iconic cover showing, you know, fragmented images of various characters behind one, you know, strong female character. It even says, actually after Campbell in the signature scroll that Jim Lee put on there, so that's quite a compliment when Jim Lee is aping your style and wants to do an homage. Now, the action in this issue opens with Fairchild bursting through a wall, trying to escape three pursuers on a flying platform, one of whom is the Leon character that we saw in the opening to issue 6. We learn that Leon's codename is Frostbite, there's a pink-haired girl referred to as Copycat, and then there's a third guy who is not named at all. <laughs> not anywhere in the issue. And then, all of a sudden, this vampire werewolf-looking dude in a leather jacket, identified as Evo, shows up, and he just rips Caitlyn to pieces off-panel. You just see some blood splatter and shrimp. And we soon learn that this was all a VR training exercise for Ivana's new gen-active team called the Deviants. So yes, Caitlyn Fairchild is still alive and well. Eventually, they get their own spin-off series called DV8, which I bought back in the day. Didn't buy too many issues of, but I was like, oh, 
a second Gen 13? Yes. Oh, no. Anyway, this is their big debut. Also, we do get the girl from the cover eventually identified as Sublime, but she is always in the background, very small, and she is barely in the book at all. So why did she get the cover? Like, it was so strange. Anyway, it's very clear, though, that Gen 13 is really Jim Lee's version of the New Mutants, and the Deviants are Emma Frost Hellions, right? Like, it's just 100% that lineup. Uh, now, cutting back to where we left Burnout last issue, we see Bobby being forcibly kissed by his beautiful savior, and Bliss says that she was there to save him. But he's not really super impressed, he doesn't really trust her, and then all of a sudden he gets a psychic vision that Sarah has been hurt in battle, but still alive in a sewer tunnel. And this psychic connection thing, I just want to say, I thought it was only between Fairchild and Freefall, but I guess they all have it when they need it in order to move the story along and locate each other. Must have something to do with being Gen Active. I don't know, it's weird. I have to say, though, the one thing I notice is that Jim Lee definitely loves Burnout, more than J. Scott Campbell, because he gives this flame-headed guy all sorts of giant panels and cool shots between these issues, whereas Burnout is usually an afterthought with the regular creative team. So getting on with the story, Bobby rescues Sarah, telling her that the rest of the team has been captured, and then Bliss kind of pushes her way onto the rescue team, saying she wants to help. Now, it's worth mentioning also that the writer, Brandon Choi, has done away with the Italian translation gimmick in the back of the issue with issue 7, and he just has English word balloons now with those brackets indicating that they are speaking a foreign language. Must have been too much work. I doubt in any angry fan mail would have gotten to Wildstorm within a month, you know, fast enough to influence that decision. But we end up getting a page of dialogue set in a lab between the masterminds of the Order of the Cross, who are the organization behind the Centurions, who seem to be linked to the Catholic Church. One of the guys is called a Cardinal, so there's something going on there. Anyway, Bliss and Rainmaker are just bickering with each other as the trio break into the base of the Centurions, with their dialogue literally devolving into a verbal catfight, where the word balloons are just filled with the word bitch over and over again. So not the most flattering depiction of female characters just making them catty towards each other, possibly over the affection for the same guy, you know, it just seems not the best way to go. But then we cut to Grunge, Free Fall, and Fairchild, where they are being held captive in these cool-looking, like, black and green grid bodysuits. It's kind of like that old-school computer animation, like, wireframe design, if you can visualize that. But despite the fact that the cavalry is on the way, the teens manage to take out the guards themselves, make their own run at a breakout, and then meet up with their teammates. So Fairchild ends up at a computer console trying to get communication out to Mr. Lynch to pick them up is what I gathered, but she's unsuccessful at breaking through all the codes and everything. So Bliss takes over saying, quote, I do know something about the Order of the Cross. Ivana has her backdoor key to every intelligence organization in the world. So look, Bliss was useful. <laughs> they get into the top secret files, and then all of a sudden the Cardinal shows up with the Centurions behind him, ready to sick him on Gen 13, but then Fairchild drops the name of Operation Lazarus, and that she would reveal that to the world, which shuts the guy up, and next thing you know, the team is on a plane back to California, the very next page, funded by the Order of the Cross. Grunge and Freefall praise Caitlin for getting them out of a jam, to which she replies, it's just a nice change of pace once in a while to win a fight using your brains instead of our fists, Grunge. In a fun joke, we also uh, 
learned that one of the demands that was made to the Order of the Cross was that they get a bowl of only green M&Ms, you know, the infamous rock star rider mainstay. So that's kind of funny. Grunge is munching on those. And then in the back of the plane, Bobby and Nicole, aka Bliss, have a heart-to-heart. They even share a kiss before Bliss decides to bail out of the plane with a parachute that has a peace sign on it. And then she just kind of goes back to Ivana's base. Uh, so as far as final thoughts here, we got two new teams of characters in this book, which is a lot of new characters. The Deviants and the Centurions, which I just realized now. Centurions, right? That old 80s cartoon? No relation. Uh, but none of the designs really caught my attention as a breakout star. You know, a character I would want to see return. So it just goes to show you it's harder than it looks to come up with the next big thing. You know, Gen 13 really was a bolt of lightning, if you will. Now, what I realized, though, from these issues, ultimately, is that Jim Lee does angst and dramatic poses very well, but not frenetic fun. You know, the art in the story was very well rendered, the layouts were solid, but it just felt like everyone was gritting their teeth or looking forlorn, you know, instead of giving rude and rowdy teen expressions, as is J. Scott Campbell's signature. And while I don't like super cartoony styles like Joe Matarera or Humberto Ramos or Mike Waringo, I miss the more animated influence of J. Scott Campbell. I think he's just got the perfect mix. So I'm glad that this was just an experiment by Jim Lee and that he didn't decide to become the regular artist on his most popular book because that would have been a mistake. You know, what made it popular was J. Scott Campbell working with Alex Garner on the art. Like, it just looks awesome. So I say, welcome back, Jim, but stick to drawing Wildcats. And there you have it. That is Robin's Reading Rainbow for this time around. But let's get on to the next segment. Alright guys, now we're going to check out some of Wizard's picks for this month and see how many of these you got in your log box. One I know I have and bought back in the day is Gen 13 Max number one. Yes, the first Gen 13 crossover. And it says here, so how can a secret group of teenagers team up with a guy whose adventures take place in a woman's subconscious? That's a better question than writer Bill Mesner Loeb's realized. Quote, I thought I'd written a bulletproof plot, but when we got into the details of who knew what and where this occurs, it turned out to be more complicated. So, Jim Lee, Brandon Choi, and J. Scott Campbell poured over the plot. He says, quote, polishing and fine-tuning to get it right. The story evolves Mr. Gone, the Max's favorite guy. He kidnaps a bunch of kids, including a possibly gen-active one. Most of the action takes place in another dimension, but not the one Max fans are used to. Quote, the Outback is in Julie's subconscious, Mesner Lobus explains. This takes place in someone else's subconscious, so we'll be seeing a whole new batch of weirdness. All that will come to life under the pencil of artist Tom Coker, who took up residence at the homage studio to ensure he got the nuances right. While most of the story takes place in the new dimension, the Gen 13 kids also visit with Julie in the real world. That'll be fun, says Mesner Lobes, especially when Freefall starts smoking in Julie's smoke-free office. They're both such accommodating women. So yeah, I remember buying this back in the day, but yeah, the idea that there was Gen 13 not being drawn by J. Scott Campbell was not super appealing to me, but but it was the fact that the Max was evolved. I was like, I had been watching the cartoon. I knew what was going on. And so, yeah, it's not one of my favorite 
favorite crossovers, but I like the idea that, you know, the whole creative team from Gen 13 was actually collaborating with William Mesner Lopes on that. But speaking of the Macs, you say you want more Macs? You see them on MTV and you want more, more, more? Well, apparently there was a mix-up at the plant because what you got is more Macs. Alan Moore, that is. He guest writes this month, taking the series in a completely new direction with a girl named Sarah and her Macs. Hmm, maybe the Macs will go around saying, hmm, all the time. <laughs> That's fun, a little Rorschach there. But yeah, so Alan Moore writing the Macs? That's a pretty interesting way to go. Next up here, though, we have The Phoenix Resurrection. Malibu is being pretty cagey about this two-part series, both of which shipped this month. It leads off with The Phoenix Resurrection Genesis, in which someone becomes imbued with the Phoenix Force, and it winds up later in the month with The Phoenix Resurrection Revelations, in which the Ultraverse and its heroes fight for their very existence. But when it comes to saying whether the Phoenix Force tags man or woman or how they'll be affected, editor Hank Canal zips his lips. Quote, that will be determined by the story, so I can't talk about it, he says maddeningly. Last time, the classic X-Men story, Jean Grey received the Phoenix Force and became a bit cranky by the end. After showing him the embarrassing pictures we'd taken at the last Malibu party, Canal's furtively slipped us the list of X-Men who show up, and it's an impressive lineup. Wolverine, Storm, Rogue, Banshee, Jubilee, Beast, Bishop, and Gateway. He adds that we'll see just about everyone in the Ultraverse. We'll also meet a new character called Foxfire, who receives her own series in February. Canal's again clammed up about her powers, but he said that she, quote, won't be yet another bad girl. Foxfire has ties in the Ultraverse's past, and her sole destiny is to secure the Ultraverse's future. So yeah, I was considering covering the Phoenix Resurrection storyline on a mini-episode. I read both of those, the Phoenix Resurrection Genesis and Revelations, and as one of our listeners said online recently, uh, it was hard to get into the story when you didn't know half the characters, meaning all the characters from the Ultraverse. A lot of them were kind of obscure, and you're like, eh, I don't know what's going on here. And then the X-Men seemed just slightly out of character. So yeah, I just, I didn't enjoy it overall, the reading, so I didn't think there was much to say about it, because I'd be like, this character did this. I'd be like, who? Who is that? No idea? Yeah, I don't know either. So... Anyway, Phoenix Resurrection, cool idea. Foxfire was covered in our Bad Girls special. She had an interesting outfit. Couldn't seem to get her pants all the way buttoned up, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, now let's get into something I know I bought back in the day. In fact, it was my first ever issue of this character that I had been seeing in Wizard for quite a long time. Madman Comics number 10. You know, this book is consistently one of the best reads around. What we've got this month is a whole swaggle of robots under the command of a mysterious factor, Max. Humanity doesn't have a prayer. Unless you count Madman and his bunch of yo-yos. Plus, Alex Ross adds his marvelous touch to the cover and a few pics in the back of the book. So yeah, Madman Comics number 10. I saw that Alex Ross painted cover. It was so beautiful. I bought it and then I started buying Madman after that, getting the trades, all those things. But I also, years later, well actually not that many more years later, I found out that there was a gigantic poster version, like an old time Hollywood movie theater poster of this art and I bought it. Like, I have owned it for 15 years, and I have never had wall space big enough to display it. I've never been able to find a framing company who could actually mount it correctly where it wouldn't be destroyed, because it is gigantic. It is still my dream. Someday I will accomplish this, but Madman Comics number 10 is just so special to me. All right, now let's check out Acclaim Comics and Solar Man of the Atom number 60, because when are we talking about Solar. 
We're not. But here's what it says. Hey, everybody, drop your drawers and grab your party hats. Hey, sounds like they could work in a strip club. Because it's Keith Giffen Month over at Valiant. And it's about friggin' time. The skinniest man in comics... brings his unique artistic and writing style to the man of the atom with a pretty devastating tale. Giffen says, quote, Solar's hobby seems to be blowing up planets, and yet, in what seems to be the current vogue for a hyperpowered beings, he whines incessantly. He whines like an ugly girl on prom night. I figured maybe it's about time he realized that trying to get in touch with his lost humanity has been the cause of all his problems. That God's powers in the man's hands doesn't work. It comes to a pretty radical conclusion, and I think the ending will absolutely startle everybody. Also, be sure to pick up Exo of Man of War 61 and 62 where Mr. Giffen and artist Andy Smith will be having their way with Eric and that whole suit of armor thing. So wow, he was writing all sorts of stuff over there. That's pretty interesting. Giffen, yeah, ugly girl on prom night. I don't think we can say that anymore. <laughs> but check this out here. So there is a Spider-Man and Punisher crossover which I was not aware of. I mean there were so many Punisher crossovers at this time but it says here, you might also want to grab the two-part Spider-Man Punisher crossover in which the new Spidey meets the resurrection Punisher for the first time. And Punny's newest assignment with the mob is to off Spider-Man. So that's interesting. I mean, that's where we first saw the Punisher, right? On that amazing, classic, iconic cover where he's got Spider-Man in his sights and now he's back at it again, but he's technically going to kill the real Spider-Man, but then we find out later it's not the real Spider-Man. So I don't know. It's very confusing, but interesting way to team them up here. Okay, and I guess we got to close out here checking in on the X-Men books. Hey, did you kids catch the X-Men guest starring on the Spider-Man cartoon a few weeks ago? They had a great showdown between Webhead and Wolverine. Anyway, for some unanimated but still exciting tales, open up on Kenny X-Men number 329, where Wolvie and Archangel happen to bump into Doctor Strange and fall into a mystic realm of New York City's underworld. Sounds spooky. Then over in X-Men number 49, all those evil survivors from the Age of Apocalypse storyline go hunting for Bishop. Apparently, he knows too much. Now, uh, what I'm reading is the little sidebar where they're talking to famous comic book artists and writers. So this time around, they have Peter David, who says, currently reads Sandman because of the complexity of the story of the mythic underpinning of the series that is pretty much unparalleled in any other ongoing series. Cerebus because I've been with it since issue number one. I'm sure not gonna put that book down now. And Bone because I think it's charming and there's no other series out there like it right now. Gru because I love the same joke every month. So (laughs) that's a pretty good gag there. And that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. I want to thank Sean Robert again for joining us for that fun discussion, and you for listening. And just to give you a heads up on what's to come in episode 54, our special guest is a gentleman named Chad Young from the Horror Movie Barbecue blog and podcast. Big 90s comic book fan from back in the day, just pop culture in general. We got into some very, very fun discussions about autographs and conventions and all sorts of stories. Even this was a Gen 13 heavy mini episode and he had a story about that also. So I hope that you will be ready to tune in with us there. There's a lot of discussion about DC versus Marvel and Amalgam and everything. So that is a fun episode. But also speaking of fun on YouTube, you've been seeing a lot of my haul videos as the archives are growing and growing exponentially. But uh, some of the other things I've been doing is opening up trading cards over on the TRN TV. That's the Retro Network YouTube channel. We have those crossover 
crossover episodes where I was opening Amalgam and DC versus Marvel trading cards. But this month in April is the 30th anniversary of Image Comics launching with Youngblood number one. Oh, Youngblood. Well, there was a trading card set based on the comics, as you do, and so I got a couple packs and opened them up. So that is going to be over on the Wax Pack Flashback series on TRN TV. Something for you to look forward to and check out. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to spoil my hand here. Maybe I was super excited. Maybe I was surprised by the amount of uh, information and amazing art within those packs. You'll just have to watch and find out for yourself. But otherwise, if you want to stay in touch with us, go over to Twitter at Wizards Comics, Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're still trying to get some new content out to you. Michael and I did record our thoughts on the Halloween costume contest from 1995. He just wanted to edit it. He's an amazing editor, but he's also a super busy guy. But whether he's doing it or I'm doing it, hopefully that video comes to you soon and you can enjoy the look at the cosplay of the 90s. It was a very fun discussion. But in the meantime, go on over there, give us five star reviews and tell your friends, share, retweet, do what you gotta do to help us grow the Wizards, the podcast guide to comics universe. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.